Hello and welcome to the Audio Time Capsule, episode 9. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I bring on a guest, get them to leave 20 questions, and then a year later bring them back on to answer them. I then edit it so they are talking to their past self. All past voices will sound like this, and all future voices will sound like this. To give you a quick demonstration as to the format of the show, here is a question that I recorded for my future self before this guest arrived. Hello Simon. Are you still meditating once a day for a minimum of five minutes? Have you got that up? Is it to ten minutes? Can you sit there and do absolutely nothing for ten minutes? Tell me. Well, honestly, right now, no. I haven't meditated for a while. I've been really busy, which is probably the best time to meditate. I I just haven't. And I will again. I could for a while sit there for 15 minutes and do nothing and just be with no thoughts which was really nice um but yeah i i can't right now and it is annoying me so thank you for bringing that up i will start again as soon as i've recorded this and put the pod together while it's exporting i will sit and meditate happy now is that going to make you feel better past me let's start the episode uh this week I am talking to British alternative comedian Jos Norris. He's an award-winning comedic actor and an award-nominated screenwriter. He is hilarious and always has some interesting projects on the go. And this podcast documents the last year of that. Uh, We talk about his personal life. I say we, past him and present him, talk about his personal life, about his projects that he's been working on over the last year, and pretty much everything in between. It was a really honest interview and a really open insight into his mind and his process. So I really had a lot of pleasure putting this together. I hope you enjoy it. If you're new here, please do remember to hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do consider giving us an honest review in iTunes. And either way, please do consider joining the Facebook group. It's called The Audio Time Capsule and it's on Facebook, obviously. But for now, let's open The Audio Time Capsule of Joz Norris. Before I open Joss's time capsule, he has asked me to add in a little aside note for him, but he's actually sent me it himself. So um, let me just play that to you now, and hopefully that will give you a little bit more context for his episode. Uh, This is the only time we're going to do this. I'm not going to be letting every person put in a little footnote into every episode if they're not quite comfortable with it. Um, I sort of give them that option the year when they're making their questions rather than sort of following up as the way this one is. But Jos is a good friend and um, I know how anxious he was about putting out his episode based on uh, his own opinion on how it came out. So uh, this is a little note from Jos about that. Hello. Uh, This is Jos Norris on the 5th of February 2018 and Simon has very kindly let me record this sort of adjunct to my podcast episode. I think adjunct is the right word. Uh, I'm recording it because I've listened back to my episode of Audio Time Capsule now and I can't help but feel like I've slightly let Simon down in terms of uh, not having as much fun with the idea as I could have. Because at the time when I recorded my questions, that was in 2016, the uh, the podcast I was mostly aware of, of Simon's, was the Ask the Industry podcast, which I'm sure a lot of you might have listened to. Uh, it's a very sort of in-depth uh, look at the comedy industry with various comedy professionals. 
I sort of naively assumed that the audio time capsule was a, was a kind of an expansion of that. But looking back on your career a year later, so I thought its its main area of focus was on sort of um, comedy industry specifics. And a lot of my questions are, are very much about that. And since then, I've heard little snippets of other people's episodes. I heard a bit on Tony Laws where he just asks about training his dog training up Wolfie for the year later and uh, suddenly felt very stupid and kind of realised, oh, there's actually, there's so much breadth in this idea to do something so much more interesting than to say, how have your gigs been going this year or how's your scripts? It, it felt a bit of a shame suddenly that I hadn't, um, I hadn't done anything broader or more, more mundane or more, more trivial or more anecdotal. Because I think when you do look back on your, your year, a year on it's usually the sort of the smaller sillier things that that leap out to you and feel the most significant rather than oh i made this much professional progress this year or whatever uh nevertheless these are the questions i ask myself a lot of them are very much about doing comedy and the process of doing comedy uh which means i i can't help but feel like i end up being a little bit wrapped up in myself and a bit self self-absorbed in my answers but there are some other questions about other things that i think i give some interesting thoughts on and it remains a, a great idea and a really fun concept to kind of talk back to your own ideas a year later and see how you did with them so thank you so much to simon for for having me on thank you to him for letting me add this as a kind of an apology to anybody who listens and goes this guy thinks a lot about comedy doesn't he hopefully there'll be uh, there'll be another where i come back on and ask myself more questions about what toothpaste i'm using and um whether i'm still eating beans on toast because i'm eating too much of it at the moment and i must i must sort it out actually anyway uh, enjoy and thank you very much uh, hi, my name is Jos Norris. Today's date is Tuesday the 16th of August 2016. I am currently sat in a vacant room in Sweet Venues uh, in Edinburgh uh, with Simon that they're letting us use before a show comes in. I am feeling... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling great today, actually. I've had a coffee, I've had a bacon and sausage roll. Yesterday was my day off from the fringe, so I feel very refreshed, and I'm enjoying my run, so I'm having a lovely time. I am excited about doing this project because uh, I've often toyed with the idea of uh, writing letters to yourself in the future and never got around to it because I am lazy. Uh, so the idea of actually trying to communicate directly with uh, future self is an interesting one, and I'm keen to keen to know what you're thinking. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Jos Norris. It is the 16th of August, 2017. Uh, I am in Sweet Grass Market, uh, which is uh, a venue here at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, and I'm about to have a conversation with myself from last year uh, and answer the questions that I had about my future. I'm feeling mostly... Just, I've, I've genuinely forgotten what most of them are, so... Um, Mostly I'm just feeling quite curious to know what were my top priorities a year ago and then to try and uh, dissect how well I managed to fulfil whatever I imagined might happen. So I'm, I'm excited and curious. Question one. Uh, in 2015 to 16, you promised yourself that you would stop asking for gigs, with the exception of festival appearances and previews, and only perform when you were asked to. Uh, luckily, that didn't result in too big a drop in the amount of time you were gigging, but over the years since then, have you kept that promise? If you have, have you continued to perform regularly, or has the number of gigs gradually dropped? If it has dropped, have you replaced it with other creative projects, or have you simply started asking for gigs again? Uh, this is interesting that I asked this, because uh, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last week, specifically. Uh, I basically, I, I kept doing that, that uh, promise to myself, for about 
I think till around New Year this year. So I carried on only performing when people asked me to perform. Uh, and then uh, the main reason for doing it was I just felt when I was at a gig and I knew that I was there because the person running it wanted me to be there and had gone out of their way to say, I would like you at this gig, please come and do it. It just removed a huge part of the kind of imposter syndrome thing you get when you're at a gig and you've asked to be at the gig where you're like oh I hope I impress the people at this gig I hope they're okay with me being here and with me asking for a spot and all that kind of thing um, I found whenever I was in that sort of situation at a gig it just it just made me a bit worse because you've got that bit of your head that's going I really need to impress these people so that's why I did it was it just improved my attitude to gigging completely and then around the new year I sort of lapsed in that and I suddenly realised much as it was good for my own headspace to only be performing at gigs where people wanted me, like actively had gone out their way to get me for it, I kind of thought There's, there must be, though, this whole sort of world of gigs that I'm just cutting myself off from, and there must be audiences that I'm cutting myself off from by choosing to not ask for for gigs. Uh, so I started doing it again, and I started writing to people and saying, I've been off doing other things for a bit, but if you've got any spots, then that'd be lovely. Um so the sort of number of gigs increased for a while and some of them were lovely and some of them were terrible some of them were really I had actually my worst gig I've ever had this year uh, I've, I've never played to 20 minutes of actual silence before and that happened this year uh, and was horrid uh, and it was one of those things where at the end you do that thing of going oh you've all been very patient and nice and I've, I've been here and thanks for putting up with it and you try and do that thing of acknowledging it at the end in the hope that everybody goes oh well at least he knows it's been a bit rubbish we'll, we'll let him off uh, and at this one I said I've, uh, you've been very patient and I've been here and they all just sort of nodded like that and looked very stern at me like they were going yeah we have we've been really patient uh, so some gigs were really lovely and some were terrible uh, and specifically in the last week or so I've come back to this question of like do I want to gig that much and my current feeling about it I think is that I I might stop gigging for a while completely or just try and remove live comedy as a thing where my brain goes. Uh, I don't know how long that will last because it's the same as last year. I told myself I wouldn't ask for gigs for a while and then that broke. And then this year I'm thinking I might try and work on completely different things for a while because I'm really enjoying my, my Fringe show this year and I enjoy the fact that it seems to sit somewhere between comedy and something else. I'm not quite sure what. But I find that the things I find most interesting about the show aren't necessarily the jokes or the routines, but they're the sort of the conceptual elements to it and the way I'm trying to express ideas in it. Uh, and essentially, a lot of people have been trying to get me to work on a theatre thing this year. There's been some theatre people have said they'd like me to write a more sort of narrative theatre thing, and I'm trying to work on a lot more scripted stuff. And I think at the moment, my brain's just gradually shifting away from stand-up as being a place where it's going to, to do things. And I think on some level, that's always been what I'm trying to do, really, is to try and make something more in that mould, in a sort of scripted narrative conceptual world, than to try and be a, a gigging stand-up. It's just never been something I'm very... Not something I'm not very good at, but it's it's never been the... It's always a means to an end, I think, for me, gigging. I sort of view gigging as a place to go and express ideas and explore ideas with a view towards getting a show together for The Fringe, but I never get a huge kick out of gigging by itself. I always feel like this is me getting ready for next year's show. Uh, so it's not a way of paying the rent for me. And the idea of that, of like gigging to have to pay the rent, just makes me feel dread. It's a really horrible idea of having to rely on it. So I think at the moment I might 
cut off gigging completely for a few months just to work on other things and then uh, and then go back to it maybe next year see how I feel see where my brain goes uh, but I, 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 I stopped with my not asking for gigs thing for a while and then uh, came up with a new new plan that's where I'm at at the moment I think Question two, what's the circle of other comics and creatives that you collaborate most regularly with these days and how substantially has it changed this year? Uh, not at all, really. It's kind of, you, you, always, you always kind of add new people to your circle every year or, you know, new people get drawn in. But I don't think there's ever a, a situation actually where suddenly you just completely change who it is you're working with. Uh, so mostly I've been working with weirdos again so that's the same sort of collective of people that I've been doing stuff with for a few years Uh, I've been writing some things with different people uh, and sort of trying to focus more on some sort of scripted stuff with other sort of producers and things so in that sense I've been working a bit more with behind the scenes people this year and slightly less on with the same group of people working on live shows like weirdos shows or whatever but in general this kind of the group of comedians that i see is still the same people the people that i see sort of day by day and that we talk about ideas and share ideas with is the same that it's always been so it's weirdos and people like uh adam larter john kearns eleanor morton they're all keeping on keeping on still doing excellent work and uh i'm still having a lovely time with them all question three uh, of the various scripted projects that you've got in development in a couple of places, which, for the benefit of your own memory, if you've forgotten, includes at the moment uh, Deathbed and The Girl Whisperer and that one about your dad on the river, how many of those have progressed <laughs> meaningfully? Have any of them come to fruition or have any been abandoned altogether? How many have not changed in any meaningful way in the year? Um, so d- uh, all three of those are now basically basically not happening. Uh, new ones have, have come up since that now might be happening. It's this... Luke McQueen talks in his show about this year about uh, what a weird thing it is to be to always have part of your brain in like the TV development world because he says it takes about a year and a half to get a no, basically. So you're working on this idea and you invest so much time in it for a year and a half of your life and then you get to, to the end of it and you're thinking, they might say yes and that would completely change how I work because then I'd have this big project to work on, it would be quite a big thing. Uh, or you get a no and you go, great, well that was a year and a half of my life uh, that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but so those those three, the Girl Whisperer was the web series that I made uh, last year, two years ago. Oh, there were two series, so last year and two years ago, um, and uh, that's kind of gone quiet. We we made the two series, and I really liked them, uh, and I think so the second series in particular felt very much exactly like the kind of thing I've always wanted to write, and it felt quite sweet and quite gentle and quite nice. Uh, it's not really gone anywhere because I think we just didn't have a plan. It was such a sort of formulaic idea of like, here's a guy who's not very good with girls. He's going to try and improve himself. And by the time you've done nine episodes of that, you just go, there's not much we can do with that. So that exists on the internet and it's a really lovely thing and I'm very proud of it. But that's sort of where that is. Uh, Deathbed was a sitcom that I was working on about uh, my granddad who died a couple of years ago. Uh, And that one... It's this weird thing where you sort of go back and forth between producers and everybody knows when you have a script that is great and is ready and everyone knows when you have a script that's not quite ready, that is sort of good but isn't there yet and nobody really knows how you get from one to the other, I think. Everybody's sort of guessing, both on the producer side and from a writer's perspective, you kind of go, I don't know what this needs to click but it does mean that you have all these back and forths 
where I, I went in a lot with that script and they went, okay, what if you try this? Completely change it, do it like this. And you go away and change it. And then they come back and go, oh, no, it was much better the way before. Make it back how it was before. And then you take it back to where it was, but you try and improve it. And then they go, no, nah, it's still not working. You need to do it completely differently again. And it's basically everyone's kind of throwing ideas out in the hope that it transforms and becomes the thing it needs to be. And we never really worked out what the thing was that it, that it needed. So that one kind of went back on the shelf. What was the other one? Oh, the one about me and my dad walking down a river is uh, something that I'm still uh, talking to people about, which hopefully we'll get somewhere. A new one cropped up this year, which was a sitcom about uh, social anxiety and technology addiction that I was working on with What Larks, who are great. They're absolutely brilliant uh, bunch of producers. And I loved that. It was, uh, it was, they really kind of pushed it to be the best thing I've written and the best thing I've worked on. And that got very close to happening. And then... Uh, some people at Channel 4 realised it was uh, more or less identical to a pilot they just commissioned. They went, oh, we've already got something about exactly the same thing, we can't make this. So this is the thing with TV, like, like I was saying with Luke McQueen, you spend a long period of time working on things and really investing a lot, and then you get to the point where you go, ah, didn't happen. Uh, and it feels like a shame, except that in that year and a half you've built really good relationships with people who really like your work. So there's now, I've been working with these producers on these things for the last year or so, and there are people out there who've read it and liked it and kind of championed it up to a certain point and then went we can't take it any further than this so I think much as a year ago maybe my past self is is wondering whether anything's going to take off and get made in the next year uh, much as you feel like that's a disappointing thing that it hasn't you just go this is all a very long process of building your sense of what it is you want to write and finding people who sort of also want to make similar things so they're still they're still all ticking away those sort of scripted projects but as yet we're still working out what is the one that hopefully will get people to go oh this this is great uh so we'll get there with it but i'm sorry to let you down i'm sorry they're, they're, they're not out yet question four are you going back to the edinburgh fringe this year uh, when you wrote this question, you were thinking about only coming back for a short run and possibly coming with something different to a usual solo show in order to use the year to focus on different things. Has this been the case, or have you come back with a full show? I always say this. I always say I'm going to come back with something that's not quite a comedy show or a stand-up show. It's going to be a bit different and more sort of conceptual or whatever. Because it's like that thing I said about, like, I, I never think of stand-up as being the form that I ultimately want to aspire to. I'd like to be somebody who sort of makes theatre shows and makes scripted things and films and and, uh, TV scripts or whatever. So whenever I think about making a a show, I'm always like, it can't just be a stand-up show. It has to be something more than that, which means I end up just endlessly sort of creating convoluted ways to make things more complicated than they need to be. So this year's show, I have come back and uh, I'm doing the full month just because I like it a lot. It's always a bit too long. And every time I'm up here, I always get to that last week and go, oh, it's hard actually to do three weeks of the same, saying the same words every day. But it's just such a lovely place to be and everybody's involved in it and everybody goes through the same emotions of, oh, I'm tired and this is long. But you feel so proud of what you're doing and it's so exciting to share it with loads of people every day that it's just worth it. It's worth the sort of the slog of doing a month of quite stressful work in return for the sort of the the fulfillment you get from audiences and from your friends coming to see it and sort of peers and that sort of thing. Uh, So this year's show, like I say, I've again just tied myself in knots trying to make something that feels interesting to me because I I struggle with just standing and and talking. Uh, So this year I build a giant web out of string and then I try and do a stand-up show in the middle of a web uh, and then at the end try and escape from it which I think is a sort of a convoluted metaphor for something. I'm not sure what, 
possibly uh, an anxiety thing. And it's been lovely. It's been really, really nice. I think it's my best show, which I think would have surprised me this time last year because I think I was so happy with last year's show, I kind of thought, I think I'm going to need to give myself a bit of time off for a while because I really liked what I'd done last year and I thought maybe I'll need to go away and really work on what I want to do next. But I think I have come back with something that I prefer and I think is more interesting and people have been very nice about it. It's all it's all going all right. But yeah, again, I am forcing myself to try and uh, think of it as being more complicated than it needs to be. I always end up doing that. Last year was I was stuck in a box for the first 10 minutes of the show. This year's I'm tying myself up with rope I don't know why I feel the need to do it but um, again there's something in my head that goes try and make it more theatrical try and do something else with it otherwise I uh, I sort of doubt myself when I'm stood on stage question five what other festivals have you performed at this year how many of the festivals you performed at last year did you go back to uh, what have I done this year I did Leicester again which I love Leicester is my favourite uh, and had a lovely time there really really nice I did Glasgow again uh, and again enjoyed it a lot slightly less than last year because I was a bit further out of town so it was a bit tricky to get people along uh, I did Bath again in the same venue that was nice not as nice as Leicester uh, what else did I do was that all this year? oh I did the Liverpool Comedy Festival last year uh, and I, I didn't know I had any sort of friends or, or fans or followers or whatever in Liverpool uh, so I went there expecting very little and ended up having a really lovely show not a huge one but but very nice so um sort of built a few little audiences in places like that was there anywhere i went to last year that i didn't go back to i didn't go back to belfast uh i had a nice time in belfast last year and didn't do it this year but mainly because uh we were there through comedian cinema club and that was all organized by the sort of management team who ran that so i just didn't have the the contact details really for that festival uh, but most of them I went back to, and, and they continue to be lovely. There was... Oh, I didn't go back to Brighton because I really like Brighton. Brighton's a lovely place, and the audiences are lovely. Uh, I just think it's too expensive. I think I... I uh, personally, uh, speaking personally, I know people who've had great times at Brighton Fringe and, and speak very highly of it. I think I paid, like... 150 quid or something to do two performances, and you kind of think, when in Edinburgh you're paying 300 quid to do a month of shows... It's it's very easy to make a return on that investment. When you're going to Brighton and you've already spent that much just to do two shows, you kind of think, there's no way I can make that cost effective across two shows to make that back, as well as your travel and the costs of putting on a show and all that kind of thing. Uh, and maybe if, if, I, if I'd had a different experience and gone and just sold out two nights in a row and had huge, amazing crowds, I'd be feeling very differently and going, yeah, it's brilliant, it's fantastic. But I think I'd got a bit unlucky last year and went, I can't make that up a cost manageable thing so I didn't go back this year but I, I like Brighton a lot and would like to go there more to do other things but possibly outside of the fringe because it seems uh, seems quite expensive to register for it but that's that's just my take on it all the others I went back to and had a lovely time didn't go back to Latitude forgot about that uh, again because uh, the people the people who sort of sent me there last year weren't doing it this year so didn't didn't have an in but I had a lovely time hopefully they'll have me back sometime uh, question six. You're currently hoping to make more independent online film projects of your own in the wake of some of the stuff that you made this year. How much of that sort of thing have you been able to make? Great question. Um, I made I made three little short films this year, which was uh, which was really nice. The first one was uh, I, me and Matthew Hyten did our first short last year. It was a, a sort of a, cr- a black comedy crime thing about a celebrity double act who try and kill each other for the insurance money. 
uh, with Ed Axel and Michael Brunstrom in it. That was really fun. Uh, me and Matt did a second film together, and again, he directs, I write. Uh, this one was about Robert Johnson, because I just I love the Robert Johnson myth. He was a uh, sort of penniless uh, blues guitarist in Tennessee, I think, uh, who the myth is that he met the devil at a crossroads at midnight and sold his soul to become really good at uh, guitar. Uh, so we made a film about a modern-day equivalent of Robert Johnson, played by me, uh, who meets the devil, played by David Mills, which was an <laughs> incredible bit of casting. Uh, and that was Eleanor. Eleanor Wharton suggested casting him, and as soon as she said that, I went, oh, right, this film has just clicked into place because David Mills is just w- wonderfully typecast as that kind of suave trickster character. And it's about a guy who sells his soul to the devil but then finds out that actually all he's agreed to is that the devil is now going to be his guitar teacher for the next three years or whatever. So every week he has to go to the devil's house, and it's all quite underwhelming, and the devil lives in a terrible little bedsit. Uh, and he slowly learns guitar. Uh, I then did a sort of a weird horror film with Lucy Pearman, who's fantastic. Uh, and we knew we came up with this game last year at the Fringe called Feed the Baby, where I I played a baby and she just um, dropped mango chunks into my mouth we, just because we were bored backstage during Adam Larter's show. Um, not bored because the show was bad, but because we were in it every day. So when you're in a show every day, you've got to entertain yourself backstage. So we just fed each other mango. Uh, and somehow that refrain of feed the baby kept coming back as something we wanted to work with. And we put together all these ideas of this weird gothic kind of nasty fairy tale, odd, visually strange Lynchian thing. And we weren't quite sure what we wanted it to be. We just knew it was about this terrified mum with this horrible baby that that kept demand, making demands of her and she was just really stressed and sad. And we threw all these visuals down on paper of things we wanted it to look like. So we sort of referenced Nosferatu and things like that and essentially had no idea how to make it and went, we don't know what we're talking about here. And we got Sam Nicaresti and Lottie Bowater in who are both really interesting sort of visual art director type people they have a Lottie did lighting and sound Sam directed it and they just have incredible eyes at how to make something look weird on a screen and essentially because there was no script we just sort of mood boarded the whole thing so it was a day of the four of us in a house trying to throw all these different elements together and make it look as weird as we can and it's not finished in the edit yet but I've seen a rough cut and it's just fascinating like Sam's done an amazing job of making it look horrible and very funny there's some really funny visuals in it and very strange so that's coming out Halloween hopefully Uh, and I also did a documentary with Ed Axel where Ed knew that he wanted to make a documentary about nothing um, or a documentary about two people trying to make a documentary and failing to work out what their documentary was about and we spent a few months working on that and have put together this sort of 10 minute taster version of it uh, where the two of us wander around trying to find meaning in London suburbs uh, and are just consistently met with people who don't really know what we're up to. It's a very strange thing, and basically nothing happens for 10 minutes. It's just the two of us wandering around investigating something and not really getting anywhere. Uh, but I think the dynamic with the two of us is really nice, so we're hoping to try and make some more of that this year. So I've got to make three really lovely little things this year. There's a vague plan for another one that me and Matt are going to do, and me and Ed are going to try and do some more, and hopefully if this horror one goes well, then we might try and collaborate on something else. We'd quite like to do something about the tallest man in the world, but we're not sure what. Uh, so yeah, I've made some some things I've really enjoyed this year, and some really weird feeling things. Uh, so hopefully they're the first of of many more. Question seven: What's the current state of play with the particular collaborative comedy collectives that you most frequently work with? So that would be Weirdos, Comedian Cinema Club, and ACMS. Uh, Weirdos is all going very nicely. I think we're not doing the annual panto this year. 
uh, because instead we're doing a show with Tony Law on ice at Alexandra Palace Ice Rink uh, in October, which is very soon, and I can't ice skate. Uh, so we're kind of up against it in terms of doing that. We need to start rehearsing it properly when we get back. Um, it's called The Battle for Topia, and it's going to be loads of stupid comedians on ice skates. Tony Law is a genuinely good ice skater, so he's always wanted to do this show where he's on ice and he does this extravaganza and apparently all promoters ever have said that can't work that can't happen and then eventually somebody said talk to Adam Larter he'll be able to sort out a show on ice if anyone can and now that's happening so Weirdos plus Tony Law are doing this stupid thing in October Uh, and we've been doing other little things with Weirdos we made some little shorts last year uh, and we pop up and do little one-off gigs every now and again it's become a collective that just does the odd stupid project every now and again it's no longer like a regular monthly night or anything or or there's no sort of prescribed thing of what we have to do but every now and again Adam will go here's what we're going to work on and then we'll work on that for a bit uh, ACMS is great fun I just have a lovely time at that I try and go to it as often as I can in London and it's just a great place to go and do an idea that might pop into your head once and then let it go and they're just the loveliest audience there you can go on stage and just sort of say one word and they'll uh They'll just sort of love you for it. It's uh, it's incredibly misleading as a performer to have an audience like that that makes you think that every idea you have is genius. Um, but they're really nice. It's just such a great place to sort of play with ideas. So I've been doing a lot there this Fringe as well. Cinema Club's been a bit weird this year. Uh, we, um, we've we been doing very well with these uh, sort of pop-up one-off shows. Uh, so there was something at the Royal Albert Hall, which did great. And uh, I think Jurassic Park, I wasn't at that one, but Jurassic Park at Royal Albert Hall went very well. And we did something on the South Bank in the underbelly. We did Aladdin, and I nearly smashed my jaw open because I played the magic carpet and did that by just putting a sleeping bag on my head and then danced around and then fell over and smashed my head against a metal step and nearly knocked out all my teeth. Uh, So I think we really scared quite a lot of people on the South Bank that day. so all those sorts of shows have been going great. We've also been trying to get a sort of a London residency off the ground, a sort of a monthly uh, thing. And that one's been a bit weirder, a bit trickier to kind of sustain. Uh, we sort of tried it in a couple of different venues and we're not quite sure where our home is yet. So Cinema Club's sort of currently without a home, which is kind of fine because it seems to be having this audience at these pop-ups. Maybe it'll become the show that turns up at festivals or at one-off things like that and and plays to its audience there. And uh, and the residency thing might not might not come off. I'm not sure, but um, but we, I always have a lovely time with it, with all of them. They're great fun. Question eight: What have been the biggest developments in the careers of your closest allies and friends in comedy and the arts this year? Ooh, that's a that's a nice question. Um, I'm, I like that. I was I was worried that all my questions are just me asking myself about myself. Uh, so it's nice to think that I briefly thought about other people last year. Uh, <laughs> That's always encouraging. And what has happened to friends of mine this year? Everyone's just sort of settled into their groove by now, I think. Um, Because I think, you know, everybody now knows what they're doing. They know what they're good at. Uh, So people like, uh, I guess, Eleanor's the one that I work most closely with because I I see her all the time. And um, so we talk a lot about what's going on. She's doing a, a show that's doing very well over at The Stand. She's having a lovely time and has been writing some really funny scripts this year. She wrote an excellent script about uh, pirates, uh, about um, Mary Bonnie and Anne Reed, or possibly Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. I forget. The the lady pirates who dressed up as men to try and get away with being pirates. Uh, so she's been writing some great stuff like that. Uh, what's everybody else been up to? John Kearns is back at the Fringe after a couple of years away. He did a wonderful Christmas show last year. 
at Bassey Arts Centre, which I think was him kind of testing the waters to see if he could do another hour show because he took a bit of time off from doing that after he won the award and it was wonderful it was such a beautiful show so he's now back at the fringe doing doing stuff every day again uh adam larter is here again uh doing uh, a show a sort of art prop show called l'art nouveau which i pop up in and he's running this weirdos on ice show as well uh what else is everybody up to uh, oh, Harriet Kemsley, uh, who was in the Girl Whisperer last year. She was the sort of the other main star of that web series. Uh, she's currently uh, in a sitcom that's going out on Viceland every week about her and Bobby Mayer getting married. Uh, and it's a sort of real-life reality structured narrative sitcom. So her actual family are in it and they're plan- planning a real-life wedding, but it's all sort of scripted along certain lines, um, which I've not watched yet because it's been going out during the fringe, so I've just been a bit too hectic to catch up on it. But I've heard great things about it, and that's very exciting. I was going to be in it, but my scene's been cut uh, because um, uh, apparently the sound didn't work, so that's a shame. Uh, but, uh, yeah, everybody's had a great year, I think, either just sort of continuing on with what they with what they already were great at or kind of taking that step up and kind of making stuff for TV, but everyone everyone's having a great time. Question nine. What's the state of play with your flat? Uh, at the moment, uh, in 2016, you're a bit worried that your landlady might increase the rent next year and that maybe that would mean you'd have to move. Any update on this? Uh, I'm staying. I was very worried about this. And I'm constantly... The thing is, I've been in this flat now for five years. I've been in the same London flat share for five years and the rent's never gone up, which is a, a mad uh, fortunate position to be in. So I think whenever I know that there's a lease change coming, my brain very much panics about it and goes, you might have to look for somewhere because the idea of just looking for somewhere in London is so horrible and I've not had to do it for five years and I will have to eventually. Uh, but no, she's... Um, I think I've just accidentally stumbled upon one of the few pleasant, scrupulous landlords in, in London. She's just quite happy to have us. Uh, so we're all back. Anna's leaving, which we're all very sad about. She's moving to Bristol. Uh but I do actually know a couple of people in Bristol. I must, I must hook her up so she has friends because she's worried she won't know anybody. So she's leaving. We have uh, Anna's boyfriend, Jamie, is moving in, uh, which is great because he already knows all the house songs. We have a whole bunch of songs. Uh, there's one about a big lunch, and there's a great one about Jeffrey Tambor uh, getting into a frothy bath. Uh, he already knows all these, so we won't need to kind of catch up with anything. And we're staying for at least another year, I think. So you can, you can rest easy. Question 10. Uh, what's your relationship with your non-comedy friends like at the moment? Because this year, 2016, you've started to feel it's a bit harder to keep in touch with them as much as you'd like because of the difficulty balancing comedy and non-comedy. Uh, has that improved or declined at all or stayed the same? It's kind of stayed the same. It is hard. It is difficult because your your schedule is just opposite to everybody's. Like, you're free in the weekday daytimes. I, I work... Um, I also do uh, children's entertainment stuff, which I do sometimes during the weekdays. But most of the time, I'm free Monday to Friday during the days and then busy at weekends, either gigging or doing rehearsals for shows or, or, or whatever, uh, and then busy in the evenings with gigs. So it's just, you do have this little disconnect with your friends sometimes where people will suggest things and you go, oh, I can't do that. And everyone goes, oh, you can never do anything. And I always feel very aware of it. And I just try very hard to remember when I do have those moments of free time to so go, try and use this to actually see the other people that you care about and not to just get wrapped up in yourself. Um, so it's the same as it is really I, I sort of try very hard to see people when I can uh, I've been doing lots of Dungeons and Dragons this year that's been a great saving grace actually because there's a particular group of friends my friend Ferrica uh, for his birthday last year or maybe the year before uh, said I'd like to set up a Dungeons and Dragons crew because uh, I've always wanted to be a dungeon master 
uh, and we did it thinking it would be maybe a one-off thing or something we did a couple of times we just really enjoy it so now every couple of months we meet up and do that and it's nice to have a sort of a regular thing besides comedy that you go I'm just going to go and see these people now and do this stupid thing and it's nice for it to be silly as well because I think if you get too stuck into the idea that the only way you can do something silly is by doing a comedy show with your comedy friends, then you lose touch with the fact that like there's so much stupid things to be done just in your everyday life. So I'm now a, a dragonborn barbarian, and I can breathe red lightning. And uh, we go around and just sort of, uh, what are we doing at the moment? We've got to find this hag, kill some hag. I see them every couple of months for that, and that's all very nice. So yeah, it's fine. It's It's a difficult thing to balance. And I hope maybe that if I am going to try and work more on theatre stuff and scripted stuff and cut back a bit on the gigs, then that's something I can try and improve more is to be more available for my friends because I've been less good at that than I could be the last couple of years. Uh, So maybe that will change a bit this year. But I'm still doing my best to just be around for them when I can. Question 11. How are things going with Eleanor? That's a lovely question and you sound very happy to be asking it. Uh, very nice, very good. We're having a lovely time. We're we're living together this fringe, which we've never done before. Um, the longest we've ever been together before is a week on holiday. When we go on holiday, uh, we we sort of we obviously are together for that whole time. But generally, we'll see each other like a few times during the week, but not sort of stay together for for weeks at a time. So that's been an interesting sort of test of things, and we're 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 having a very nice time overall. I forgot to wash up yesterday, so I got in trouble for that. Uh, but you know more for me put more effort into looking after the house um, and generally we're having a very nice time we, uh, we we see each other's family and all that kind of thing they came to see my show yesterday uh, I try and pop up to Edinburgh when I can we try and remember to do lots of things together that aren't just comedy related although it's difficult you know when you're both when you're going out and you are both comedians pretty much most of what you talk about is here's an idea I had or like can you believe this stupid thing that happened to so-and-so or whatever uh, but we try and remember to go and do other things and to sort of experience London because obviously she's from Edinburgh and lives in London uh, to do comedy uh, and because uh, Edinburgh is so nice she often sort of gets a bit cross and goes oh, I wish I was back in Edinburgh where everything was lovely so I have to sort of try and make the extra effort to think of things about London that are great and take her to those places and go look this is pretty good and she goes yeah it's not as good as Edinburgh though is it and she's completely right uh, but uh, but we have a nice time trying to sort of discover London together and find the, the hidden bits of it that you don't always remember to visit there's a fly in here I've killed it question 12 what's your take on current affairs uh, at the moment it feels a bit like we're on the brink of a sort of geopolitical collapse so has this got uh-huh. better or worse and do you have any major thoughts on it Wow. Well, I <laughs> I asked that before the before the current sort of oh no Brexit would have happened. So uh, I'm aware of that when I asked that question. Uh, yeah, that's got much worse. Um, uh, Donald Trump is the president now, and I I don't know. It's hard to have a take on current affairs because people are already saying things about it more intelligently than I could. Uh, so generally you just sort of feel a bit kind of helpless and you're like I can't really comment on it because I, I don't have the, the the wit or the intelligence for that or the or the the nuance to take on it so you just sort of generally feel a lot of despair I do feel like when, when Trump got in there were a lot of people who were going oh a Trump presidency will cause nuclear war and will, there'll be Nazi rallies all over America and that kind of thing and at the time I was trying to be quite optimistic about it and I was like I reckon all that will happen is he'll just be rubbish he will just be a rubbish president for a few years and he'll cause a bit of a mess and he will embarrass America and then he'll be gone and now 
six months on, we do seem to be on the brink of a nuclear war, and there are Nazi rallies across America. So I kind of go, but yeah, this is this is not panning out brilliantly. This is looking pretty bad. Um, but there is so little you can do other than to try and. I don't know. I ought to do more activism, I realise, because it feels like if ever there's a time... In general, everybody's attitude is like, oh, I ought to do more activism. And I think I've, I've felt like that even at times of relative stability. So if I feel like that then, then I really ought to be joining in and doing something now. So I need to try and join up with more stuff like that. Uh, but beyond that, you've just got to try and uh, keep creating work that I think you feel says something important for, for you, whatever that is. And you've got to try and do that with some positivity and some sort of energy and hope that somewhere out there that puts a smile on people's faces. Because that's the thing. When there's so much terrible stuff going on, it really makes you doubt the point of what you're doing when your job is to be stupid in front of people. And you kind of think, what is this doing? And you've got to hope that maybe you create a little bit of sort of lightness in other people's lives when generally they feel quite sort of sad about everything. So... um, yeah, it's pretty terrible at the moment, I'm afraid. I'm afraid it's got much worse. Maybe I asked that last year, hoping I'm sure we'll have been able to minimise some of the damage of Brexit and all that kind of thing by this time next year. Nah, it's got worse. But uh, maybe it'll get better. Question 13. One of your plans this year is to try and work a little bit more within the context of TV comedy as opposed to live stuff uh, and to write more things. Has there been any interesting developments there this year? Have there been any great shows being made? And is there anything you'd like to say about that? I think I sort of covered that already. I think that's that's probably been... Fa- All I could say about that has probably been facts in my answers to the other ones. So, like I said, this other sitcom came out that I worked on with What Larks, which was really lovely. They they saw some of my other work and went, we like this, let's work on a thing. And we've taken it to a certain point and now we're thinking of other things we can work together. So I've been doing that. And in terms of other things being made, I guess, again, that would come back to Harriet and Bobby's sitcom, which is really exciting. That's kind of the first time some friends of mine have got their own TV show. You know, I've known people who are in shows and people who I don't know so well who get who write shows. Uh, but I think that's the first time somebody I, I, I consider a good friend has actually been able to get their own show off the ground. So that's probably been the biggest TV development in terms of my friends. And it's all really nice. It's really encouraging to think that there are new ideas being made. And Viceland in particular actually have been really good this year at commissioning interesting new things. They did that Brexit uh, stand-up show of comedians going around Europe uh, doing stand-up about Brexit in different European countries. So they seem to be making interesting stuff. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff being made, and it starts to feel now like those ideas are coming from the sort of the newer, interesting names and not always being sort of the same figures that you see on tv all the time so i think people are starting to get their breaks in tv which is really exciting and like i say some people now are sort of interested in my work and while they're not yet at the point of like we want to make your show it's nice to feel like there those opportunities are arising and are being given to people of that level so hopefully that means over the next few years i'll get to do more of that kind of thing but yeah i think most of that is stuff i've mentioned already question 14 you'd like to do more traveling and see more interesting places have you managed it? I went to Whitby this year uh, uh, for for my holiday. Um, me and Eleanor went to Whitby. Uh, so no, I guess I haven't really managed to. I think I, I, I want to do more traveling around Europe and I want to go to South America and I want to go to Moscow and I'd like to go to New Zealand and probably bits of Africa. Just everywhere. I haven't really been anywhere. Oh, and I want to drive across America, but I can't drive. Um, so I, I haven't done any of those things. But it's just tricky finding the time and the money. And particularly when it's when you're a, a couple and you're both self-employed and you're both in the arts, it's very difficult to both have 
the right amount of money at the same time. That's the thing, is you kind of, one of you will have saved up enough for a holiday, but then the other one might be might be sort of having to fill in with loads of other jobs, and then it'll get to another time in the year, and then the other person's got enough for a holiday, and then you're really struggling, and like, oh, I can't pay my rent this month. Uh, so it is very difficult to find times to do an, an, an exotic holiday together, uh, which is why we just, we go and we try and go to towns in Britain that are near national parks. So we did Windermere last year and we did Whitby this year. I think that should be a thing I try and do this year is maybe we try and find a time and we both try and save up for it and do a proper holiday to... I'd like to do Eastern Europe, like Romania, Bulgaria, that kind of thing, and then gradually build up to the South America and the, all the slightly more, <laughs> more ambitious ones. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't been able to go anywhere tremendously exciting this year, but I'll, I'll get there. I'll figure it out. Question 15. Did you do anything this year that you'd never done before? Oh... Um, did I? Oh, I was my brother's best man this year. Uh, that uh, I was very moved when that happened because I wasn't really sure. He's got this best friend from school called Matt Ward, and I kind of knew it'd, it'd be either me or him that'd be best man, and it would just come down to an arbitrary decision of do I want a friend best man or a family best man? You can have you can have either, and people seem to choose either way, and I wouldn't have minded. And then I uh, he, he wrote it in my. Um, my Christmas present, he bought me a book for Christmas and then wrote, do you want to be my best man in the thing? And I uh, I was very overwhelmed by it. It was really lovely. Uh, and just had a, a really a really nice wedding. It is a job, I realise, being best man. It turns out, I think in popular culture of people's imaginations, it's just an honour to be the best man. And it is an honour. But you do also get to the day and be like, oh, I have to, I have to actually run all this stuff. So you end up trying to find everybody for the photos and then you do a lot of tidying and a lot of setting up and all that kind of thing. But it's just an absolute pleasure to do it when, it's, uh, when what you're doing is you're helping, helping your, your brother have the sort of biggest day of his life. And I got to write a speech and I was banned from doing any of the things I wanted to do in the speech. Uh, I had to do a sort of a fake version of the speech at an ACMS just to get them out of my system. There was a lot of nonsense I wanted to do that was sort of satirising the idea of best man speeches because I think they're a bit stupid. Uh, my brother said, Look, don't do that. Just do a nice speech with some sincerity for once and just say some nice things. And I did that and it was really lovely and it was such a pleasure to, to see them have, a, have such a lovely day. That's probably the biggest new thing this year, I think. And it was, it was great. It was really nice. Question 16. How's your health? Because you're always trying to work on your health. Just generally, I sort of constantly tell myself I'm on a health kick and trying to eat better and sleep better and exercise more. So I'm just wondering whether in the next year I'm going to... Because I always say that and then never really do anything about it. So I wonder whether maybe knowing that I've logged a question will make me work harder this year to try and do stuff. You leaned away from the microphone when you asked that. What what terrible mic technique I had a year ago. Um, I completely forgot that I'd asked that question. So um, so I've, I've not made a conscious effort to improve my health. I have lost a lot of weight in the last two weeks because it's the Edinburgh Fringe uh, and you just, you just shed weight despite eating rubbish. I've, I've, um, I end up coming back about half a stone lighter every time even though I've just eaten chips for a month. But it's because you're always walking and you're always stressed. I find stress is a great health aid. I mean, it's terrible for you. But if, you, if your sole goal health-wise is lose weight, stress is incredible. And it's just a shame it causes so many other health problems. Um, it's all right, my health. I walk a lot. I got a Fitbit last year, and I walk a good 10 miles a day at least. Uh, that's, that's just a normal day, it's 10 miles. Uh, so I'm doing all right with that. I need to swim more, and I need to do more actual exercise, because I'm, I think I'm getting to the age where my body start, stops looking after itself. So quite soon, at the moment, I can eat a load of rubbish and kind of come out the other end sort of fine. And before long, my body will go, no, I'm not enjoying this, and I'm going to 
make you look awful as a result of the fact that you've chosen to do this so uh yeah i ought to start setting up a proper exercise regime and eating better i went through a week of eating only salads in like june that was good and then i went oh i miss crisps and then i ate a lot of crisps uh so yeah i'll I'll get around to it but it's not urgent i think it'll be urgent in about three years three or four years then i'll start looking old looking back over this last year 2016 to 17 what has been your favorite memory from that year Ooh, that's a nice one. I think it might be the wedding, my brother's wedding, uh, because it seems to combine all the things that that could be nice memories in that when you work in as a performer, part of you goes, surely my best memory would be the best performance I gave. But then you do get to do a performance when you're a best man. You get to do a speech, and everyone was really lovely about the speech. And also you go, my best memory has to be something to do with family or friends or whatever, and that's all involved in the wedding. And the food was lovely, so that's, you know... And you're just in a pretty place looking at nice things all day. So in terms of, of an event that brought together all the elements that might make a lovely memory, I guess I guess that would be the one. Because it's not every day that your brother gets married and you get to watch that. So I think that's certainly the one that stands out most as that was a, a, a one-off thing that won't happen again, that it was a real joy to be a part of. So I think the wedding. If you could go back to today, the uh, 16th of August 2016, are there any questions that you wish you'd asked now that the year's gone by that you didn't anticipate? Hmm. Um, I I don't know if there are, you know. I feel like nothing's really sort of taken me by surprise this year. Like I said, the big the big thing is, is the political things. Those are the big things that have really kind of thrown all of us, I think, and made us go, oh, God, what the hell is going on? Um, and I kind of don't wish I'd asked about that because I already sort of did. And to be any more specific about it than I was would uh, probably just have made me sad. Um, so, no, I think I think I, I thought of most of the places where my brain went over the year. And uh, I think by and large, I'm quite pleased with how they've all they've all panned out. And if you could go back to today, uh, the 16th of August 2016, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I think just uh, just remember not to get too obsessed with uh, with what everybody else thinks. I think I realised this year, and it was going to be a big part of my show and it didn't quite make it in, uh, nobody is thinking about you as much as you are. That's true of everybody, obviously, because why would anybody think about somebody else more than themselves? Um so you know a lot of and this is true both of performers and of everybody in general I think a lot of kind of anxiety and self-doubt comes from the idea of like you must always make sure that to other people they can see that what you're doing is worthwhile and important and that you're having a good time doing it but actually nobody's looking around at other people and being like oh I wonder if they're having a good time and whether what they're doing is worthwhile and valuable really like nobody cares the main thing is that you find that value in, in yourself and I think you feel that more keenly when you're a performer because you're constantly putting yourself out there sort of begging for this sort of validation. But I think it's true of everybody. Just remember that the, the, the main judge of whether what you do is, is fulfilling and enjoyable and good and worthwhile is yourself. So you just got to try and always play to that and never worry too much about anybody else. Not to the extent that you're upsetting people. Don't go around upsetting other people. But just make sure that you're, you're mostly doing what you want to do and not worrying too much about what people think. That was Jaws. I loved hearing and massively related to the problem of wanting to see your non-comedy friends but not having the right schedule to do that. It, it's a constant bugbear of mine that I don't see people I don't know within comedy enough 
and arguably I don't see the people I know in comedy enough. So it was lovely to hear other people struggle with that as well, as weird as that sounds. I also really know the frustration of wanting your show to be bigger than just standing and talking. I have increasingly found that frustrating, especially in the last eight or nine months, and wanted to do more with the medium of stand-up. I know Jaws is moving more into a different area of that and being more theatrical in his approach which I find really fascinating to watch for me it's just I know stand-up can be anything so I, I, I want to do more with that I don't want to just feel hamstrung by the idea of st- standing there I mean there's not there's nothing wrong with just standing there and telling jokes absolutely I loved doing that for ages but now I I don't know I, I'm trying to find a way of expressing ideas and thoughts you know more uh, out there, uh, out there makes it sound too grand, but j- just in a different way, and and um, it's great to see someone else doing that as well. Please don't forget, if you're new here, please do hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give us an honest review in iTunes, ideally positive, ideally five stars. We're doing really well on those at the moment. So far, fourteen reviews. Can we get it up? Can it be higher? If you don't mind, please take a minute and do that. It really helps out the show. I, I can't expressed in a number of ways that it really helps out the show it's uh, giving us a social boost and potentially leading to much bigger guests so uh, please 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 take a minute and do that review I know not everyone wants to be on iTunes or make an account so if you don't want to do that I totally understand just remember to subscribe and share this with someone who you think will get some value out of it each week in the outro I pick one question that the guests gave and I ask it to you and I find out where you're at in your life and your career. This one, um, I want to ask you what's the one thing in your career that you've done to make yourself get more comfortable in your job or your place of work. I loved how Jos stopped asking for gigs and waited for people to invite him so he knew that he was wanted at the places he was performing. And although I couldn't see myself doing that myself, I do admire that he had the balls to do that because that would be, wouldn't be suicide for my career, but it would be a, a massive blow towards what I'm doing. So yeah, what have you done recently to make your working environment more comfortable for you? Could be redesigning your desk, it could be buying something new, it could be making a, a concession to, to feng shui your paper clips. I don't know, I don't know. But write it in the Facebook group and we'll all see how we're making our lives slightly more comfortable. The audio time capsule is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane, except the music that was composed and recorded by David Jordan. Thank you very much for listening, thank you very much for subscribing, and thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days' time. Bye! Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.